had previously explored the career of famed World War II correspondent Ernie Pyle, I believed Sherrod's war reporting also deserved to be examined. What Pyle did with his reporting for the average G.I. during the war, Sherrod did for the Marines who suffered and persevered in the terrible engagements at Tarawa, Saipan, Iwo Jima, and Okinawa. Early in the war in the Pacific, he also accompanied some of the first American troops stationed in Australia to help stem the tide in that theater and brave the brutal conditions in the Aleutian Islands with soldiers from the 7th Infantry Division. In his writing, Sherrod strove not to present complete stories, leaving that task to historians, but to write what he saw, heard, and felt during a battle, thereby reflecting the mood of the men in battle and how they appeared, talked, and fought. Washington Post reporter Richard Harwood observed upon Sherrod's death in 1994 that the man from Georgia produced for his readers some of the best accounts of men under fire during the war. In addition, Sherrod wrote insightfully about such prominent figures in the Pacific Theater as Admiral Chester Nimitz, Admiral Raymond Spruance, General Julian C. Smith, and General Holland Smith. The reporter also wrote with detail about such famous Marine Corps figures as David Shoup and Merritt A. Red Mike Edson. In doing so, Sherrod became embroiled in the two great journalistic controversies of the Pacific War. The relief of an Army general by a Marine officer during the Battle of Saipan, and Joe Rosenthal's famous photograph of the raising of an American flag on Mount Suribachi during the fighting on Iwo Jima. Tracking Sherrod's progress from Australia to Okinawa would not have been possible without the support of the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation, which awarded me a grant for my research on the correspondent's life. Along the way, I received helpful guidance from such dedicated professionals as the staffs at the Special Collections Research Center, Syracuse University Libraries, in Syracuse, New York, and at the Marine Corps Archives and Special Collections, Gray Research Center, Quantico, Virginia. Owen Johnson, retired Indiana University journalism professor and Pyle scholar, provided thoughtful suggestions on the manuscript and was someone I could always turn to for advice. At Indiana University Press, former regional editor Sarah Jacoby gave early support for my shared proposal, and trade editor Ashley Runyon shepherded the book through to completion. Although not an authorized biography, this book would not have been possible without the support and encouragement of Sherrod's granddaughter, Sonia, who was kind enough to answer any questions I had about her grandfather. As always, the reader over my shoulder and my first editor has been my wife, Megan McKee. I owe her everything. Author's Note World War II in the Pacific Theater was a conflict with little or no mercy shown by either side. The hatred engendered by Japan's devastating surprise attack on the American fleet at Pearl Harbor without a formal declaration of war, mixed with racial animosity, produced such harsh epithets for the enemy as Japs, a term that Sherrod used in his dispatches from the Pacific and that were published in Time and Life magazines. Although such terms are anathema today, I have kept them intact when quoting Sherrod's work. As he himself noted in the second edition of his book On to Westward, published in 1990, where throughout the text of the book he originally called the enemy Japs, I would say Japanese now. He also noted that his interpretation of the enemy's fanaticism during the war would need a supplement on Japanese achievements since the war. Fanatical, yes. Cruel, yes. 
It is difficult for me to understand how the Japanese could let 30% or more of their prisoners die, but definitely not savages. Chapter 1 The War Correspondent the men aboard the U.S. Navy's Harris-class attack transport USS Zylan, named for Jacob Zylan, the 7th Commandant of the U.S. Marine Corps, on its way to an operation in the Central Pacific in the fall of 1943, had few options for relaxation on their voyage. They played cards, read dog-eared magazines, watched movies, and slept, which one observer noted they could do at any time in any position on almost any given surface— including in their bunks, under landing boats, and on the ship's deck. As they neared their combat assignment, the 1,692 enlisted men and 96 officers of the 2nd Battalion of the 2nd Marine Division, who had called the Hayes Gray ship their home for nearly a week,